Good morning. We're going to try that one more time since it's uh, a wonderful morning. No snow, no ice. A little cold, but not as cold as it's been. We'll try again. Good morning. Oh, much better. This morning we are in the book of Acts, as you find your seats. And we're in chapter 20. And we're going to see that this is very much a, a transitional moment in the book of Acts. And during this time, we, we sort of follow uh, the missions journey of the Paul's third missionary journey, uh, much like Heather was sharing with us this morning. On a missions trip, things kind of happen rapidly sometimes, and they just kind of happen, and you kind of go with the flow. You just, you follow where the Lord is leading, and we're going to see that that's pretty much what happened for Paul and his team. Their plans went out the window, and they just kind of followed as the Lord was leading them. That's a very uncomfortable place to be for most of us, isn't it? If you're like me, you get up in the morning, you have your whole week planned, and then by Monday afternoon, it's all out the window, right? Because things change. We got to be okay with that. So we're going to see that in today's message. We're also going to see that things happen that sometimes are tragic and difficult to deal with. But God is with us even in those things. Actually, God is with us all the time. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we come to you opening up our hearts and our minds to you and to your word. And we ask that in this time of study, you would continue to speak to our hearts, even as you've spoken to us this morning through our time of worship, even fellowship, and also the missions presentation. Lord, we just want you to continue to speak to our hearts that we might hear your voice, learn your word, and apply it to our hearts that we might serve you with our whole lives. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just having a conversation, and Nadine said something to me. She said, there's there's nothing quite like a missions trip. And it's so true. I remember my first missions trip. And as I was listening to to Heather share of her recent, just a week ago, her trip, you know, it, it, it is very important that we understand the doors will begin to open up again for most of us to take trips. Uh, and, and you might want to think of and pray in this new year about at least saying, Lord, here I am, send me. Well, Paul had said that. Paul had done that. He was on his third missionary journey. And Paul had done a lot of ministry. But in this particular section, he'd been in Asia. He was in Ephesus. uh, And we're going to see that he sails across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia or northern Greece. And then finally goes down to southern Greece. And it seems that he's on the move. But this is recorded rather quickly. Because a lot actually takes place during this one particular year of Paul's ministry. Paul had been called by the Holy Spirit to leave Proconsular Asia, which we'll refer to as Eastern, excuse me, Western Turkey, and travel to Jerusalem. But he goes in the opposite direction, as we'll see, because he wanted to go to Greece first. Now, Paul had ministered in the city of Ephesus in Proconsular Asia for about three years, his longest stay in any one area. He did a lot of ministry there. They planted a lot of churches in that area of western Turkey. Now, Paul was determined to travel through Macedonia and Achaia on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to get to Jerusalem. And as we've talked about in terms of geography, Macedonia, northern Greece, Achaia, southern Greece. So that's where he's heading. Now, Paul's plan, though, in addition to visiting these cities and these churches in these cities, was to receive an offering from the Greek churches for the church in Jerusalem. You see, the the Greeks were a, a, a little bit better off than the church in Jerusalem. 
The church in Jerusalem was ostracized by their fellow Jews. They often had to eke out a living. They were many times persecuted, and they had more needs. And so what Paul thought would be a great idea to bring the church together, to bring Jews and Gentiles together, would be to receive a love offering, a missions offering. He talks about it in his epistles. He receives this offering, ultimately brings it to Jerusalem, and the idea is to bring people together. You know, Heather was mentioning before that sometimes you you can't preach the gospel because of the circumstances. You're legally not allowed, or for whatever reason, you you jeopardize your life. But you can always love people, amen? And, And showing people love, whether it's in a medical clinic or in this particular case, bringing resources to meet the needs of others, when you do that, everything you say after that has meaning and power and makes an impact. So many times we start with showing love, and I believe it was the heart of Paul, clearly it was, to show love from the Greeks to the Jews because they started out not liking each other, even not even associating with each other. And Paul, in his ministry, was very much about bringing people together, especially as it relates to the church. Now, he was also determined to travel to Rome. He told us that in chapter 19, verse 21 of this book but after he had traveled to Jerusalem. So he's made his plans. And as I said, many times our plans go out the window. In fact, Paul had already sent Timothy and Erastus ahead to Macedonia to prepare for him to arrive there. Now we read in in verses 1 through the beginning of verse 3, that's our backup and sort of our background, when the uproar had ended, of course that was the riot that had taken place in the city of Ephesus. When the uproar had ended, Paul sent for the disciples And after encouraging them, said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. We are in Acts chapter 20. He traveled through that area, speaking many words of encouragement to the people, and finally arrived in Greece, where he stayed three months. So he's made his way, and we don't get a lot of detail, but we know what Paul did. We, we know what Paul's ministry was. He went into cities, he went to the churches he had planted, and he encouraged people. Of course, while he was in Ephesus, the craftsmen there had caused a great disturbance, a riot in the city about the churches. So it was prudent for him to leave. And sometimes God has us move on when it's time. Of course, he had been there three years, as I said. So... He encouraged the disciples there and said goodbye, set out for Macedonia, traveled through northern and southern Greece, and of course he had been there already. He was there on his second missionary journey years earlier. He had preached the gospel throughout that entire region. Paul was well known there. Not everyone loved him, but everyone knew him. Paul and his team had founded several churches, so they're going back to visit those ministries. And Paul visited with the brothers there where he preached the gospel again. Paul was always preaching the gospel, living the gospel, teaching God's word. By the way, that is really what we're called to do. Everything else is is really incidental by comparison to sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ and teaching God's word to his people. Amen? That is really why we're here. So he was visiting those churches there, really, for the second time. And the churches there were like... The churches we're familiar with, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, we've talked about them before. Of course, he reconnected with Timothy and Erastus, who were there waiting for him. And while he was there, and I like to let you know this, because we're familiar with the epistles, 1 and 2 Corinthians, right? 
It's nice to know the background as to why he wrote them and when he wrote them. See, he had hoped to receive news from Corinth in southern Greece while he was, uh, when he first got there, but even, even sooner when he was in Troas, when he was in, in Ephesus or in that area of western Turkey. Because he was very concerned about the church in Corinth. They had a lot of problems. So he wrote his first letter to the Corinthians. In, in, in just really imploring them to, to, to sort of be the people that God had called them to be. So reconnecting with them, being there was his heart. He's on his way to go there, but he's not going to wait. So even before he set sail to Macedonia, he had written his first epistle to the Corinthians. He had sent a man you're familiar with, because Paul had written a letter to him as well, Titus. He sent Titus with the letter, 1 Corinthians, to correct what was liberalism within the Corinthian church. Now, liberalism is simple. It's a very simple concept. It's this idea that there really is no wrong or right. You kind of do what feels good. It's hard to imagine a culture like that, right, where, where people just do what they feel is right, right, without any rights or wrongs. They just, you know, no black and white. Everything's gray. You, d- you do what you want. Well, because of Paul's heart and because of his love for this church where he had pastored for 18 months years earlier, he sent the letter, and we love that letter. It's a great and wonderful letter, but it is a corrective epistle. While waiting for Titus to come back and tell him how things went, didn't happen right away, but he finally caught up with Titus, that is Paul, caught up with Titus while he was in Philippi on his way to Corinth. And it was at this time in 58 AD when he wrote his second epistle to the Corinthians. So actually, Paul wrote those letters on his way to Corinth. And if you read the letters, you'll see that that much is clear. So he again sends Titus with this letter to encourage what was, and I'm glad to say, a repentant church. You see, it's amazing to me, and God has been showing me this. It is so important that we are strong about what is right and what is wrong. I think sometimes pastors, and we can be so guilty of this, ministry leaders, Christians, we can be so guilty of not wanting to correct people. God has been showing me in real time lately that correcting people is part of our job. I've I've always had to do that, but at the same time, I, I really never really enjoyed it. I'm not the kind of person that enjoys correcting people necessarily, but when I see the results of correcting someone, and they begin to change and become the person that God has called them to be. I enjoy that. Amen? But you can't get there if you're not willing to point out what's wrong. Do we have any teachers here by trade? Anyone who teaches or has an education degree or ever taught before? Okay, I see a few hands up there. Can you imagine if, as your manifesto as a teacher, you sort of said, well, I never really want to correct my students. None of them would read. None of them would write. None of them would think. And now we know what's going on in our culture today. Because teachers are really kind of told, well, don't really correct anybody. Their right is right for them. And they get to college, and I don't know what they're teaching anyone, if they're they're teaching anything in college, except maybe how to put on a mask and start a riot. But I realized, and I'm realizing the truth, that correction is not just a pastor's job. It's All of our jobs. Parents, you're lovingly correcting your children. He corrected these people. Guess what? They actually changed. And we know that from 2 Corinthians. So isn't that wonderful? Sometimes you just need to step up to the plate and be willing to point out what needs to change. That is definitely part of being a pastor. It's part of being a ministry leader, a parent, a Christian, a teacher. 
as a human being, you need to point out those things in others with love that need to change. Very important. So he did that, and things went well. And he encouraged all the disciples in all the churches in the region of Macedonia or northern Greece. I want to point out one thing, because in Romans chapter 15, verse 19, Paul tells us that he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ as far as Illyricum. Anyone ever been there on vacation? Probably not, because you wouldn't have called it Illyricum. But Illyricum is the extensive region between Italy, Germany, Macedonia, and Thrace. It's northwest of Macedonia on the eastern shores of the Adriatic Sea. So if you're familiar with the Balkans, if you're familiar with Albania, Kosovo, Montenegro, Serbia, Bosnia-Herzegovina, Croatia, and Slovenia, all you geography freaks, or anyone that looks at a map, you'll know that this is a vast area. We don't know how much of this area Paul actually went into. But during this time, he expanded his ministry outreach to areas he hadn't been. And he tells us that in Romans chapter 15. So Paul was one busy guy, making the most of every opportunity that he had to minister in the world and to minister the gospel and teach God's word. Okay, we do know that he visited the churches in southern Greece, or Achaia, this again for the second time. He administered in this city, as I've said, for 18 months, years earlier. It was at this time in 58 AD, from the city of Corinth, after having written two letters to them, that he wrote his epistle to the Romans. And that's when in chapter 15 he told them, I'd just been ministering in Elycrium. So he's communicating. Now, he's never been to Rome as far as we know, and he certainly hasn't visited there yet. But he's setting the stage for future ministry. This guy is just thinking about what's next. I mean, what other opportunities will I have to minister the gospel? Paul is an inspirational figure because his heart was for people. His heart was for God. But his heart was for people and sharing God with people. And I love that. And we see that here. So we also learned here that his team now stayed in that area of Greece for three months. Why three months? Well, you probably know this, but every season is about three months long, and it wasn't safe to sail in winter. So he wintered there in Corinth, spent the time because it was unsafe to travel, waiting for the weather to get better so that he could make his way back east to Jerusalem. While he was there, he sent a woman named Phoebe with a letter, the letter of the Rome, to the Romans, uh, in anticipation of that future visit, which we know he ultimately made, maybe not in the way he had originally planned. This woman is interesting because she's mentioned she was a deaconess. That is a servant. She was from a neighboring church in Chantria. And Paul had so many people in and around his orbit who loved to serve God as well. See, I think one of the ways you'll know that you're serving God is you'll be surrounded with people that serve God. Ask yourself a question. In my circle, in my group of friends, in the people that I minister to and with, are we all on the same page? Do we all have the same heart for ministry? Maybe your heart is for the babies. That's fine. They need ministering too. Or the teens. Or the homeless. Or any group of people. You know, we don't all have the same gift and calling, but in a way, we are all called to do the same thing, just maybe differently. The Spirit will lead us to minister in different ways, and, and there's a myriad of different ministries you can be involved in, in this church and outside this church and in ministries that are 
in this church that minister outside this church, sports camp ministries and others. Listen, brothers and sisters, if you're, if you're not doing the work of the ministry in some capacity, and it can be homeschooling your children, which I really believe is probably one of the most important ministries that we can do, especially as parents. Well, you realize that if you don't do that job well, you create all types of havoc down the, down the road. You don't raise your children properly. You, you cause ministries to have to be formed. Okay? I wonder how many less recovery ministries there would be if more parents ministered to their children properly. Right? I'm just going to use that as an example. So the point is, today is about, are you on the move? Paul was on the move. And I really appreciate that Heather shared today because, boy, was she on the move. And it's inspiring to see people who are willing to be on the move for God. Sitting in one place getting comfy, and we're all capable of that, doesn't really serve God. I'm going to give you an example. Listen, I was just talking with some friends about this. It is so easy, right? You come home from work, it's cold. Like, I looked at my car the other day, it was nine degrees. Like, who wants to go out when it's nine degrees, right? You you think to yourself, oh, man, it's late, I'm tired, and you get into that recliner, and then the next thing you know, it's one o'clock in the morning, Seinfeld episodes are on, and you fell asleep and slept through about four hours. But, you know, it's so easy to end up there. But, you know, I want to tell you, I was really encouraged yesterday. You want to know why? God showed me something wonderful. I, I came in yesterday for our men's breakfast. The ladies had their breakfast as well. I did not attend that. But as we were here, uh, I said, oh, this will be great. And you know how you set expectations? I'm like, look, it's cold, single digits. I didn't even want to come in. But I'm the pastor, so I have to. (laughs) So I get here, and guys are pouring into the church. They're like 21 guys show up. That's a lot for a, a Saturday morning, okay? That's a lot for some bagels and stuff. I mean, you know, it's a lot. And when I found out that the ladies had a little bit more than we did, I was a little jealous. <laughs> they even had a few on Zoom. But you know what it showed me? It showed me that we crave fellowship. If you'll get up on a Saturday morning, maybe the one day that you can sleep in, get in your car, and if you have a remote start, praise God for a remote start. And you get in your car, and, you, and you're cold, and you come in here, and you sit for time of prayer and Bible study, a little, little devotional Bible study, but prayer and eating together, and you do that. You know why people attend. But it's hard sometimes to get ourselves in that groove, isn't it? But I want to tell you, you guys who came out, you ladies who came out, I know you didn't come out to encourage me, but I was encouraged. Just telling you. I walked away from that feeling like I get to pastor the best church in New Jersey. I'm just telling you. That's how I felt. I really felt that way. Because it showed me who we are as people. You know, we we, we have to fight our flesh to do what's right, right? Now, all you guys that didn't come out, you probably feel guilty. Good. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. You know I'm kidding, right? You know I don't do that. I don't. So, hope you'll join us next time. Maybe when it's a little warmer, right? But what a great time. Anyway, I, I digress. Let's move on. I was just really encouraged by that. Paul was encouraging them. I'm encouraging you. And I'm encouraged. So he's going all over. He's doing all these things. Uh, he's now, as we said, sent this letter, planning to visit Rome soon, wants to make arrangements. Uh, that's why he sends the letter. 
And then in addition to that, he's, he, we, he's, he's already told us, and he tells the, the, the Romans, as well, I want to go to Spain. I always wanted to go to Spain too, you know. But he wanted to go there not on vacation. He wanted to go there to minister the gospel. This guy is a powerhouse. It's just inspirational. Anyway, as he writes to the Romans in the first couple of chapters, he describes the immorality of the culture. You, me- you remember that? You've read Romans, right? It's really bad. It kind of describes us today. And it's important to understand something. He was writing from Corinth. And he's describing the culture of Corinth to the Romans. And it was bad. As bad as our culture today. What did Paul do? Did he give up, build a bunker, become a survivalist, and wait for the Lord to return? Did he despair of life? Did he go on and write a blog about how we deserve to be destroyed? No. He got out there, and he was on the move. He's on the move. Anyway, he encouraged all the disciples and all the churches in the region of Achaia or southern Greece. So I think we should model our ministry first after Jesus, who came to a world that despised him, and maybe after a man like Paul and others, who we'll see here in this section, who lived their life for others. But let's move on. Okay, so we get to this next section. Now remember his plans. He's got his plans, right? We all have our plans. In the latter part of verse 3, it says, Because the Jews, that's not the believing Jews, those are the Jews that rejected Paul. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to set sail for Syria. Now we just looked at a map of Syria, so you know where that is. He's planning on, on going from the southern area of Greece, or the area of southern Greece, across the Mediterranean, directly straight line, beeline, to the Middle East to go to Jerusalem. That's his plan. Well, that didn't work out, did it? Because it says, because the Jews made a plot against him just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back through Macedonia. That is, back north on his way, really the opposite direction. He was accompanied by, and we're given a list of names, Sopater, son of Paris from Berea, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia. Now, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas. Remember, that's across the Aegean Sea in western Turkey. That's where they had sailed to Macedonia from. But we, notice we, interesting, we'll explain that in a minute. We sailed from Philippi after the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and five days later joined the others at Troas, where we stayed seven days. So we have his uh, diary, if you will, his travel log. A couple things I want to mention They left this area of southern Greece, traveled north. They're on their way by land as far as they can go for a reason. People were trying to kill Paul. Jews. Paul was a Jew. His fellow Jews hated him so much, despised him so much, probably because he was so effective, and wanted to put him to death. Now, he wanted to get to Jerusalem before the Passover. The only way to do that was to sail straight there. That didn't work out. So he's not going to get there on time. Or maybe he's going to get there in God's time. Amen? But here's what happens. The Jews were planning to have him killed on his way there. Now, these same Jews had tried to attack him the last time he was in Corinth. They weren't successful, but they tried. And with so many Jews making this trip at this time of year back to Jerusalem, he was in danger of being thrown overboard while he was sailing to Jerusalem. If he got on a ship with all those Jews there, assassins would have picked him up and thrown him overboard. 
so he couldn't do what he wanted to do. Paul was constantly in danger for speaking the truth. By the way, speaking the truth will put you in danger with those that lie. Sharing the gospel will put you in danger from those that oppose the gospel, and specifically Satan and demons. So do you want to stay in your house and your lazy boy and just play it safe? Or do you want to be on the move? Paul was on the move. He had to change. Sometimes we have to change our travel plans, but he changed them. He decided, of course, that it was safer to leave early by land than to risk waiting to sail by sea. And so Paul was joined by several members of his ministry team, and they sailed ahead to Troas. And I, I don't want to go through this in great detail, but I want to mention these were important people. Paul's ministry wasn't just planting churches. It was raising up leaders. You can't miss that. You see, I think it's important. Missionaries, pastors, ministry leaders are, in many ways, more responsible to raise up leaders than they are even plant churches. As you can plant one church, and I've, I've been privileged to be involved in the planting of one church, this church. But raising up leaders, you can plant one church and you can spend the rest of your life raising up leaders. If you spend your life planting churches but don't raise up leaders, you, you, you might actually be wasting your time. Why do I say that? Because churches need what? Leaders. Exactly. So when you think about it that way, you see that so much of Paul's ministry was raising up others to do the ministry. We all, each and every one of us, should be investing in others in discipleship relationships, in mentoring relationships, in coaching relationships, We should be pouring our lives, especially those of us who are a little older and more experienced, should be pouring our lives in others, especially those that are a little younger and less experienced. If you don't see that and you're not doing that, you're missing ministry. That's ministry. Ministry isn't, you know, being on the radio or being on television or writing a book or having everyone know your name or being the most popular podcast online. Ministry is that when you go to be with the Lord, you leave behind a great number of men and women who are serving God because you chose to live your life for him, for God, and for others. And I just want to point that out because what we see here is Paul, he goes back to Macedonia, he visits the churches for a third time now, and joined by these members of the ministry team, some of them go a certain distance with him and then they sail ahead. Listen, the men that traveled with Paul, traveled with Paul. Why so many, you might be saying? He didn't need all those. He did. He was being protected from assassins. He needed to surround himself with people who could protect him. So, while Paul mentored leaders for the ministry, as well as preaching the gospel wherever he went, these were capable leaders that could minister completely independent of Paul. They didn't need Paul. They're there because Paul needed to be protected at this particular moment. So as they make their way into Macedonia, there's no longer any danger because they've left southern Greece. And so these men that we've talked about were disciples, and they were from the various churches in Macedonia and Asia Minor, or modern-day Turkey, that he planted. Let's just take a quick look at some of them. The Holy Spirit chose to include their names and where they were from. Let's at least kind of think about it, all right? We got Sopater. He's from Berea in northern Greece. We got Aristarchus. He's from Thessalonica in northern Greece. Uh, You'll remember that Aristarchus had traveled with Paul through Macedonia years later. 
uh, years, excuse me, years earlier and then traveled with them years later. He had been seized and dragged into the theater by the rioters in Ephesus. We just talked about him last week. He now traveled with Paul as he made his way to Jerusalem. Later, he sailed with Paul from Caesarea to Rome. You know, when they were shipwrecked, we'll get to that eventually. And later, he was imprisoned with Paul or under house arrest with Paul in Rome. So this man was faithful. Also, we have a guy named Segundus from Thessalonica, again, northern Greece. A man by the name of Gaius from Derby in Lycaonia or eastern Turkey. See, this missions team was from everywhere. And uh, then you also have Timothy, who we're familiar with. He's from Lystra in Lycaonia. Uh, and he was recruited by Paul during his second missionary journey. We read about him in chapter 16. He and Silas had stayed in Corinth in 52 AD and ministered there. These are capable ministers. The book of Acts kind of records what Paul did, but you could write an entire book of Acts on any one of these men and women who served God. Isn't that encouraging to know that Paul wasn't alone? That he administered to others? That he spent his life raising up leaders? That's why we're here today, brothers and sisters. Paul was not a one-man show. Never was he and never would he have been. He knew better than that. And none of us should be either. I love the fact that Timothy apparently traveled to Ephesus while Paul was there for three years. And now he's traveling with him again. So sometimes they were together. Sometimes they were apart. But he was sent ahead, as we said, by Paul to Macedonia. So these men work like a well-oiled machine. I love it. Okay, then we have Tychicus. He's from uh, Western Turkey. We're told that he was a deacon in Titus. We're told he was a deacon. He was later entrusted by Paul with very important matters. You've, you've probably, if you've read your New Testament, you've read about Tychicus. He was the one that pleaded the cause of his fellow traveler Onesimus to his master Philemon in the book of Philemon. So you see all these books and letters and accounts are all connected. If anything, that just testifies to the historicity or the validity or integrity of the word of God. But I, I point those things out. Okay. This man, Tychicus, was the individual who delivered the Ephesian and Colossian epistles for Paul. Important people doing the work of the ministry. He was sent by Paul to serve in Timothy's position when Timothy left Ephesus. So these men work together well. That's the point I'm trying to make. Finally, we got Trophimus. He's from Ephesus uh, in western Turkey. He's now traveling with Paul, making their way to Jerusalem. It's funny because when he gets to Jerusalem, this is the man who became the main reason for Paul being imprisoned. Uh, we'll get to it. You'll see it in, in chapter 21. But he later traveled with Paul to Miletus prior to his second imprisonment. And then, of course, we know Paul was put to death. Okay, so these men sailed on ahead. They went to Troas. They're waiting for Paul, and you know they're waiting for someone else. Do you remember where it said we and us? The other individual who's joined Paul in Philippi is Luke, the author of the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke. We've talked about him before. Paul was now safe. He was safe from the Jews, and he's in the city of Philippi. By the way, Philippi was nine miles from the sea on the main road from Rome to Asia. It's a, it's a safer place to be. It was a Roman colony, which means they had a strong law enforcement presence. So uh, he was much safer there. But it was the leading city of that district. Now, Luke now rejoins Paul in Philippi. Well, what was he doing? He had been spending several years ministering in Philippi. Paul had left them there seven or eight years ago, and Luke was faithful to minister, probably pastor, that church all this time. We know he was a physician. 
Yes, physicians can be Christians too, right, Dr. Ed? So, you know, the truth is, God uses all sorts of different types of people. And Luke was one of them. He had originally met Paul because Paul had a lot of medical needs. Anyway, he was a missionary. He was a close friend of Paul. He traveled with Paul through Macedonia until they reached the city of Philippi. And we believe he was probably from Philippi because he stayed there for seven or eight years. But then he became Paul's traveling companion. I'm guessing in seven or eight years, Luke raised up people too. And he was able to leave and go and be with Paul because he had done the work of the ministry, planting a church, but also raising up leaders so that he could be used and so that he could also be on the move. So you have to be responsible. If God can move you, you have to be responsible to do what God has called you to do where you are at. Okay, Luke rejoined Paul in Philippi after several years. Uh, So he's best known, as we know, for writing the gospel in the book of Acts. And uh, we know this because he once again uses the pronouns, we and us, and that's actually a proper use of those pronouns. We and us, indicating that he had rejoined Paul. Okay. Well, then Paul and Luke sailed from Philippi to Troas. They reconnect with the other disciples. They've got a huge team now, huge team of leaders there. Uh, it's pretty exciting when you go to a pastor's conference and you see a whole bunch of leaders from all over the world sometimes. And you realize this guy's called to Australia and this guy at California. I think I'd rather be in Australia. Uh, Wyoming. This guy's in Chicago. This guy's in New York. And, and as you look and you realize, boy, you know, God raises up his men and women. And he sends them to places he's called them to go. Don't ask me how I got the straw for Pasek, but I praise God. I really do. I was born in Pasek, in Beth Israel Hospital before it was knocked down. I grew up across the river in East Rutherford. This is where God has called me to be at this time, to minister where he's, where he's called me to be. Where are you called to be? I hope you're called to be in our fellowship, but if you're not, I, I, I pray that you find the place God has called you to go. Do. Be. And that's what I learn as I look at these men's lives, the lives of these men and women in ministry. Okay, so they waited until after the Passover and the following Feast of Unleavened Bread to travel. And uh, so the journey from Philippi to Troas took about five days by sea. They stayed there for seven days. And we're going to end by reading something that happened while they were there. You know, Things don't always go as planned, and things don't always go well. Sometimes tragedies happen. Sometimes difficulties befall us, even with, maybe even especially when we're serving God. Joe, Pastor Joe, and his wife Andrea can tell you, you plan a missions trip, right? You plan, and then the missions trip happens. And sometimes what you plan and what actually happens look nothing like you expected. Things happen you can't possibly anticipate. Doors close. Other doors open. I mean, I can't tell you. We'll get up in the morning and around breakfast, oh, the night before, Joe will tell us, this is what we're doing tomorrow. We get up in the morning around breakfast, change of plans. Change of plans. Heather, you know that. You shared that today. Change of plans. Are you okay with that? Because the Holy Spirit is the one that gets to change your plans. I'm learning to be very flexible so I don't break. Now, here's what happened. This is, this is a tough story. This is really difficult to read. I'm going to read it, and then we'll make a few comments, and then we'll close in worship. On the first day, now remember, they're in western Turkey, in the city of Troas. 
On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. Paul spoke to the people, and because he intended to leave the next day, he kept on talking until midnight. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where they were meeting, or where we were meeting, Luke writes. Uh, Seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus, who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. Look around. Hopefully nobody's doing that this morning. Okay, I hope not. Well, when he was sound asleep, he fell to the ground from the third story and was picked up dead. Paul went down, threw himself on the young man and put his arms around him. Don't be alarmed, he said. He's alive. Then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking until daylight, he left. And the people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. Wow. Can you imagine? I mean, everything's great. You're having a wonderful time of fellowship. And one of your young people falls out of a window? I mean, when I think about our our, our lovely young ones here in this church, if anything happened to any one of them, I'd be devastated. Really. But this must have been devastating to the whole group. How How do you recover from that? Some of you have experienced tragedies recently. Some of you have experienced tragedies over the last two years. You know you're still recovering from that. There's trauma in that, right? Well, here's what happened. Listen, we know that in all things, God is good. Amen? And he works for the good, right? All things. Does that mean a guy falling out of a window, God can work through that? I don't want to say yes, but I have to say yes. Because in all things, God works for the good of those that love him are called according to his purposes. So ultimately, this was a good thing, but it didn't seem like it at the moment. You know, they're visiting with these individuals. They're having a wonderful time. And they're worshiping together. In the evening on the first day of the week. Why in the evening on the first day of the week? Why? Well, it became common practice among the Gentiles to worship the Lord on a Sunday. Christ rose from the dead on a Sunday, right? He appeared to his disciples on, are you with me? A Sunday. Don't fall out of a window on me. The Holy Spirit baptized 120 disciples on Pentecost Sunday. So the church, especially the Gentiles, started to find it Better to worship on a Sunday. They had the Sabbath. That was a day of rest. But Sunday became a day of worship. But they had to gather in the evening. You know why? They weren't that fortunate. They didn't get Sundays off. If they got Saturdays off, that was great. But they didn't get two days off a week like all of us. So they had to gather in the evening. And they would receive communion. They would eat together as one body in Christ. This was their dinner. This was their meal. This was their fellowship. And this is what the early church did. Paul spoke to the brothers until midnight. Now, it says that he spoke to them. The word for speak in that that Greek word there is to speak, not to teach, to speak, to converse. Not a formal teaching. And he continued to speak to them, sharing his heart, sharing his life. As he and his team were planning to leave the next day, he wanted to make the most of the opportunity. And he's thinking, let me just spend this time with these people. I don't know if I'll ever see them again. And maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But a young man named Eutychus fell to his death from a third-story window. A tragedy. Why did he fall? Well, first of all, we're told there were many lamps in the room. He may have been deprived of oxygen. By the way, have you ever noticed when you have the heat on in the car, you're driving on a long journey, you start to yawn a lot? 
And after a while, you start, why am I so sleepy? I can't understand. So sleep. You need to hit that little button with the recycled air that lets fresh air come into the car. Because if you don't, you could fall asleep at the wheel. Because what happens is, you know, the, the carbon dioxide, you know, begins to build up. And you're not getting the oxygen you need. You get, you get sleepy. That's probably what happened here. That was part of it. But he was sitting in a window, which doesn't help. But Paul also spoke for a very long time. And this young man, he falls asleep and he falls. It's an accident. Accidents happen. So Paul gets involved in, you know, don't we all wish that we could fix things as quickly as he was able to? Don't we? Don't you wish you could just step up and have the faith to look at a tragedy and say, that's okay, don't worry, we got this, just pray. I wish I had that kind of faith. I really do. Most of the time, we don't approach things that way. Someone gets sick and we begin to make the funeral plans. What is it that we don't have the ability sometimes to trust God? Now, God takes people. We've all lost people. But that wasn't going to happen today. Not in Paul's life and not at this moment. So he throws himself on the young man. He braces him like Elisha the prophet had done back in 2 Kings chapter 4. He receives this wonderful supernatural gift of faith and miraculous powers. And of course, Paul had those gifts. And he's assuring everyone, all the brothers and sisters in the church, he's alive. He's going to be okay. He goes back upstairs. Obviously, the kid's fine. It didn't even seem like he was injured. Or if he was, he was healed. They received communion. They eat together. So it didn't even affect his appetite. See, I think sometimes we let things, even tragedies, affect us because we lack the faith to believe that God is working in all things. I don't like tragedies. I don't want tragedies. I pray against them all the time. But they still happen. And when they do, I have to learn to trust God in those things too. So he speaks to the brothers until daylight. Then he leaves them. And it says that the brothers were greatly comforted as they were able to take this young man, Eutychus, home alive. I believe the Lord's comfort is there and exists for each and every one of us who face tragedies and difficult circumstances, regardless of whether the person gets better or not. I believe God's comfort and encouragement is there for you today so that even when you cannot make sense of what God is doing, you'll be okay with it. Because you know that God is good. You know that God loves you. And that he's not going to let anything happen to you that's going to break you. Even though it may feel like that at times. The one thing Paul was doing at this time was being led of the Spirit. And because he was led of the Spirit, this was no big thing. To throw himself on this young man and raise him from the dead, perhaps, or maybe just heal him of his injuries. I don't know, but the guy was okay. Paul and his team were on the move. The safest place you can be in God's kingdom is on the move. Don't think by standing still or wearing a hazmat suit that you were somehow protecting yourself. The only time you are supernaturally protected by God in those circumstances is when you are exactly where God has called you to be. Brothers and sisters, be on the move. The Holy Spirit wants to move and is moving in our culture today and in our world. Don't give up hope. But he's looking, as the scripture says, the eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the whole earth. 
that he might show himself strong on behalf of those that love him. Those that are called according to his purpose. This is not a time for fear or cowardice. This is a time for bravery and courage because epistles are being written and we're those individuals that are being mentioned in them, in God's economy. You want to be like a Tychicus or a Trophimus or a Priscilla or Aquila? Or do you want to be like the probably tens of thousands who aren't mentioned in this book who lived at that time who did nothing but maybe keep themselves safe? Brothers and sisters, we've been called to such a time as this, and I'm okay with it because God is good. Let's be on the move. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and your grace and your mercy. Now, as we close out our service, we know we're encouraged. We know we're strengthened by your spirit. But we know this isn't just so that we can feel good and hide. You're building us up because you're building your kingdom. And you protect and keep safe those who put their trust in you. The safest thing, Lord, we can do is serve you all of our hearts, minds, soul, and strength and love our neighbors as ourselves. And if it costs us our lives, I highly doubt that we'll feel bad about that in eternity or regret having lived our lives for you, for you told us that when we lose our lives for your sake, we find them. We praise you and ask that you would touch our hearts with this message and encourage us in Jesus' name. Amen.